Well, this morning we have gathered to celebrate the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now, let me ask you a question, but, but hold on the answer, or just answer internally. Do you believe this? And then think, think for just a minute. Jesus wasn't mostly dead, kind of dead, sort of dead, looked like he was dead. I mean, Jesus was dead, dead. I mean, uh, Jesus, they, they, they tell us that four minutes after you have died, your body begins to decompose. He had three days in the tomb with no brain waves for three days. Three days with no breath, no oxygen. Three days with no heartbeat. Three, three days in the tomb. And then he rose. And he didn't just rise spiritually in some way. He rose physically. I mean, that's kind of a, a, a wild thing. You believe that. The word believe, it's an interesting word. Uh, according to Merriam Webster, belief is to consider something true, accurate, correct. Now, this is. Important because Romans 10.9 says this. Just look at this for a second. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, a confession with my mouth, I can figure that one out. Belief in my heart. Really, what does... If, if I'm working off of Miriam's definition, then if I believe in the resurrection person of Jesus, the same way I believe that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States, have I fulfilled the biblical qualification for belief? It's kind of important. And I would say that no, we haven't, because what we do know, according to Scripture, is that Satan believes in Jesus that way. When, when Jesus is here on earth talking to uh, demons through his man, look what he, he says in Luke 4. Demon says, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, the I there is the chief demon in this demoniac called Legion. Thousand demons. This is the main one. And he says, I know who you are. Uh, Luke 4.31, look what it says. 4.41, it says, The demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. In, in Luke 8, it says, When he saw Jesus, Jesus talking to a demoniac, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? The the demons, Satan, have a very orthodox Christology. I would say that at least on one level, demons, Satan, understand the identity of Christ, the power of Christ, the resurrection of Christ in far deeper ways than pastors, priests, popes understand it. And yet we know. That the devil's not saved. And so, so you gotta ask yourself, what, what, what does, what, what does belief mean then? That's kind of important. And it's kind of important because Jesus says this in John 8. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For, look what he says here. Unless you believe, there's our word, that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, don't you think this is important? That when we stand before him one day, that right now we are working off the same definitions of belief that he has? We can't get there one day and say, oh, I didn't know that that's what belief meant. It's too late. 
So what does this mean? I think that Matthew 13 gives us a bit of an idea on this. It says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, notice every word in your pregnant, every word in your pregnant, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Next slide. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, what, what this means, right, is that, that belief means to delight in. Belief means to embrace. Uh, uh, belief, he's looking for, he's out searching, right? Not for a string of pearls. You know, even the biggest one is Jesus, but it has lots of other ones on there, family and happiness and health and friends. One pearl. To believe in Jesus, to have one, Jesus as my ultimate treasure, everything else is in the shadows. I mean, everything else is negotiable. Everything else is secondary. The most important, the most significant thing. I would give anything for him. That's how precious he is to me. Now, I'm not saved because I'm giving everything else for him, but, but he, he's valued so much by me because I know who he is. I'm embraced him. I delight in him that I would give anything for him. That's what it means to believe so let me ask you do you believe this morning because Jesus said unless you believe you will surely die in your sins this is a big question you might say well how does this look practically how does this look I want to invite you to turn with me to that first Easter morning John chapter 20 as we look at this first Easter morning, well, I think the reason why John's given us John 20 is that we might see what it looks like to believe, to embrace him. We're going to start right at the beginning of John chapter 20, verse 1. You can follow on the screen. There's maybe a Bible in, in the pew rack in front of you. But it says, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now, Mary's going to meet up with some other women at the tomb later on, but Mary's got to have some alone time. She, she needs some alone time to deal with her own emotions and the memory of Jesus. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The, the guards are gone. The stone is, is, is moved out. It's just kind of a big thing. What, what's, what's going on? So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. By the way, that is John. That's the author of the book of John. Doesn't like to name himself in the book. Does on occasions. But he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. This is an aside. But I just think it's fascinating. If you've ever come to a place where you've met Jesus and you know his love, it's almost like it's, almost like it's just you and Jesus. That, that you are loved by Jesus. You are forgiven. But John knows this. is the one that Jesus loved. And, and, and said to them, Mrs. Mary, she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. And maybe she's, she's thinking grave robbers. She doesn't tell us who the they is. Grave robbing was 
I'll say it was a common thing back then, but yeah, I guess it was. It was uh, maybe a vocation for some folk, I guess. Um, maybe a hobby or you know, extra income for other people. Maybe this was grave robbers. Maybe this was the, the Jewish authorities. They just want to humiliate and desecrate his body all the more. Maybe this were the Romans. Or who, who knows what this is? But whoever the they is, she doesn't tell us, but she's... Somebody has taken the body of Jesus. She runs and tells Peter and John, top two apostles, I think. And so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. John had to put that in there because he was faster and he won the race, right? And so he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. And went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lined with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. So it doesn't say Peter believed, but John started to put two and two together here. Oh my goodness. Jesus is in here. He saw him believe, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. We ask, and they got to be asking, what did this mean? No, notice, I think this is fascinating. Mary, Peter, John, Peter, John, top apostles. It's not even on their radar that Jesus could have risen from the dead. They're not looking for this. It was not even a, a, possi- a possibility. They're, 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 they're trying to figure out what's going on. They get into the tomb, and it says that the, the grave clothes are, are lying there. Now, you need to understand, when they would bury, it was almost like a mummification process. It started at your feet. They would wrap it real tight with cloth all the way up underneath the arms. They'd put the arms down, and then they would wrap again. Then they took this gummy substance mixed with myrrh or frankincense, and they kind of just put it all over, and then they would do it again. And then they would do it again, and then we would do it again. John lets us know about 75 to 100 pounds of spices and linen, right? And, and, and it says that when they got there, the, the grave clothes were right there. And that now grave robbers, this is why they're robbing it. They would have taken the grave clothes. It's the spices that had any value, Right? But that the headpiece is off. It's kind of folded up to the side. And they're kind of looking in. And it's like the wrapper's there. The shell is there. But there's no body in it. And they're trying to figure out, how did they get the body out of this thing? For crime? Well, How do you do this? And you would think that they would cut, and the robbers would cut and just tore the, the ribbons and, and left it all laying. But they folded this thing up. When it was all done, they folded the headpiece up. What does this mean? And they're, they're perplexed. Uh, John's the only one that's kind of getting an inkling. But they, what, do you, what does this mean? A lot of uh, explanations have been given over the years of what this means, that Jesus' body isn't in the, the tomb. And a, uh, a, a lady wrote a Bible college professor one time and said, uh, Dear sir, you, I just got back from church where my pastor said that Jesus didn't really die on the cross He passed out, and they put his body in that cold Judean tomb, which resuscitated it. Do you have any insight for me? Sincerely bewildered. And so the the Bible college professor writes her back, Dear bewildered, ask your pastor to help us with an experiment. 
First, he, he must strip naked. Then you must find some Roman guards, and they will scourge him. You should take a, a whip with a cat of nine tails with balls of, of lead and bone uh, attached to the ends, and then whip him so many times that the skin on his back and on his bottom and on the back of his legs and the muscle is hanging in shreds. Then they must beat him mercilessly. Uh, and they take a crown of thorns and place it on his head and then drive it in, bang it in with sticks. And then he needs to walk two and a half miles to his place of execution. And when he gets there, they need to put him down on the cross. And the Roman guards need to take big spikes and drive it through his wrists and through his, his feet. And, and, and then, after he's, he's bled out, they must take a spear and stick it up underneath his ribs and through his lung and into his heart. And then they need to make sure and have his death certified by a professional death executioner, right? And then they need to bury him with 100 pounds of spices, ripening him up. If the crucifixion didn't kill you, the burial would, right? Then place him in a tomb and take a stone, one to two tons, two to 4,000 pounds, and move it in front of the thing. Then after three days, what your pastor needs to do is he needs to get up off the table in that perfectly dark tomb and he needs to somehow get out of all the wrappings, which would have been a miracle in and of itself. Then he needs to go up to that stone. Of course, there's zero leverage from the inside of the tomb, but push that thing uphill. Then he needs to go out and he needs to attack the 16 Roman guards that are guarding this, who, by the way, had a good night's sleep and who weren't crucified and who are wearing armor and who are trained in warfare. He needs to take them all on and beat them. And then after your pastor does that, if he presents himself as a, as a savior, then you probably should listen to his theory. But other than that, probably not. People who understand what crucifixion was about realize that the explanations that people give for the empty tomb are, 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 are ludicrous. Uh, the disciples obviously didn't steal the body. They didn't know about it, right? They were running to the tomb, at least the main ones, right? You got the, the, the Romans would not have stolen the body because their reputation's on the line. They put the seal on the tomb. No one messes with this tomb. When Rome kills somebody, they stay killed, right? The Romans, their reputation's on the line. The, the Jewish authorities certainly didn't want Jesus' rumor out of his resurrection. They're the ones that talked the Romans into putting a guard out in, in front. Matter of fact, they're the ones that had to pay off the, the Roman guards to claim that the disciples are the ones that stole the, the body. It cost them more money to keep Jesus dead than to have him killed in the first place. So there's lots of, 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 of stories. What happened to the body, though? Well, there's no evidence like personal appearance. And so you, you see, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping. Now, I'm going to read this. I'm going to emphasize some words that I think John is going to emphasize. I'll show you why in a second. And see if you, this is your job, see if you can pick out the words that I'm emphasizing here, right? But I'm going to be pretty subtle. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. In just a moment, she's going to come across Jesus who's going to ask her, woman, why are you weeping? John wants us to know. That fear is not driving Mary. She goes to the tomb, woman, by herself in the dark. Not the safest route, but that's fear is not driving her. But a broken heart 
is driving her, Mary. Lots of Marys in, in the Bible. You know, Jesus' mother, some Mary, it's a pretty common name. You know Mary and Martha, and they got Lazarus. Uh, different Mary. Mary Magdalene. We don't know a whole lot about Mary Magdalene. We know some things. We know she was a woman, right? Duh, right? Uh, but why that's important is we dare not look back at Mary, a woman, in first century Palestine with 21st century American eyes. At the very best, a woman in this very patriarchal society would have been considered second-class citizen. That's the best. Her testimony would not have been allowed in court. The rabbis had a prayer where they would pray, thank you, God, that you did not make me a woman because it was, she just was considered incredibly inferior. And that was the best. That, I mean, that's, that's the best she could be. But tradition says that Mary was uh, not the best she could be, that she was also a prostitute. And, and what we know from Scripture, what it says about Mary, Gospel of Mark, is that Mary had seven demons in her. And maybe she had exactly seven demons. But we know biblical numerology that seven is the number of perfection, fullness, completeness. What Scripture, I think, is saying is Mary was fully demonized. There was an ounce of her anywhere that was not controlled by, obsessed by, uh, directed by hell itself. Mary had sold her body, her heart, her mind, her body, everything to Satan and to hell. Legion had nothing on Mary Magdalene. Now, you ask yourself, when you find somebody who's in such a mess, did you ask, how did they get there? What, what kind of horrific childhood did this girl have? What kind of family? Was, what transpired? What kind of hurt? What kind of pain? What kind of disappointments to get her to this place? Scripture doesn't let us know. But we know this, that in this very Jewish, very patriarchal, very religious society. A woman who was a prostitute, who was a demoniac. <laughs> zero empathy, zero concern, zero sympathy. Any attention she would have gotten would have been abuse, would have been mocking, would have been shunning, would have been stoning. She was a blight. She was toxic to the culture, society. As soon as she was off the, 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 the surface, the better. And so that was Mary's life. That's all she knew. But one day she meets Jesus. Now, we don't know. Scripture. I wish Scripture would go into detail about what that day was like. It doesn't tell us. But it does say that she meets Jesus. And when the encounter's done, Mary's demons are all gone. I mean, all of them. Mary's shame is all gone. Mary's pain is, is, is healed. Mar- Mary's dignity is restored. Mary's significance is, is given to her. Jesus gave Mary Magdalene what nobody else would or could ever. He gave her genuine, pure love, forgiveness. And so when you see Mary is weeping, of course she's weeping. The only one who's ever shown her any kind of respect or love. She's just watched murdered. So what's that mean for her? There's no hope, right? It's just despair. The, the one who said she was so significant goes off and dies. What, is, what, does, what does that mean for her? Mary knows life is hellish without Jesus. And now Jesus is gone. Mary's weeping. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Mary's weeping. Well, what else would you do? In verse 14, 
It says, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping, right? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And people ask, how come Mary didn't recognize Jesus? Well, a couple of things. First of all, the last time she saw Jesus, his body was pretty much destroyed. She watched him breathe his last. She watched him bleed out on the cross. She watched the, the, the soldier with the spear into his heart. She watched the burial process. I mean, why? There's no psychological way in the world anybody would expect to see Jesus. On top of that, the text told us it's dark. On top of that, remember, she's weeping. Her eyes are filled with tears. She's got so much pain going on, she can't see clearly. Have you ever had that kind of pain ever? We've got so much pain going on, you just can't even see clearly. Can't even see Jesus clearly. But, But look at this. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary... He'd said her name many times. And my sheep hear my voice. And so she turns to him and in Aramaic says, Rabboni, which that's uh, rabbi, teacher. And I love verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. You can imagine, just think about Mary for a second. Jesus, her hope, everything is all gone. And all of a sudden, he's right there. I mean, it's really Jesus. I mean, how do you even put words to that, right? That's the best I can do. And so what's Mary? She, she, she is, according to the parallel passages, she's on her, her knees. She's hanging on the bottom of his, his feet, the bottom of his legs, and she's clinging, it says. And we're talking duct tape. We're talking, we're talking flies and fly paper. I mean, she's just on her. She's not letting go. She's got him back, and she's not about to let go. So Jesus finally has to say, Mary, 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 I'm, I'm not, I'm not leaving away right now completely here. I'm not, I'm gonna go back to my father, but I'm not there yet. So I'm gonna see you. I'm gonna be around a little bit. So you gotta let me go here because we both have a job to do, Mary. You need to go and tell my disciples you've seen me. And so sure enough, she does. Let me, let me, let me a- ask you something. And I, I think that a lot of people <clears throat> probably are like Mary. Weeping is not a bad, it's not an inappropriate term to describe you. Maybe not externally. We don't want people to, we want to be strong. But when we're alone... When we're buying closed doors, when we're by ourselves, even if the tears aren't rolling physically, inside, there can just be a deep sadness. Life can be hellish. It just can be. And it can be broken. And it, it wasn't supposed to go this way for me. It wasn't supposed to go this way for me. My marriage wasn't supposed to work out this way. What, what, my kids weren't supposed to. I did everything right. They weren't supposed to. It wasn't supposed to go like that. My career wasn't supposed to happen. Financially, this is not the way I had planned my life. Lots of reasons to weep. Maybe regrets. Maybe your own personal demons. 
maybe fear. I think the resurrection lets us know that even though as believers we're going to experience grief, but not like those who don't have hope, Scripture says. The, 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 the pain, the, the hurt does not need to define us. It doesn't need to control us. The fear doesn't need to control us. That our resurrection lets us know that our, our lives are not in the hands. He's tell, Jesus is telling Mary, Mary, my, my life was not in the hands of the Roman government or the Sanhedrin. Mary, your life is not in the hands of the Roman government or the Sanhedrin. Our lives are not in the hands of, of Trump or Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or some crazy guy with a gun or, or, or a virus. It's in the hands, the scarred hands of Jesus. Our life is there. The, the, the resurrection lets us know that fear need not control us. Anybody who's got his focus or her focus on, on the resurrected Christ, fear Deep non-hope pain doesn't control. Now, now, where does this come in for us? This is this is important because John, I think, is thinking of us. Look what he says in in twenty nine and thirty through thirty one. He says, "Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe." That's our word. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everything written in John chapter 20, everything written in the Gospel of John, I'd say everything written in this whole book is written right here. That we may believe. The whole old Easter story, it's, it's about John 20. It's proofs of Jesus' resurrection that the tomb is empty. John's saying, I went in there. I'm telling you, there was no body. He's later on going to see him himself. Thomas will see him. Mary saw him. And it's, it's about proofs of Jesus' resurrection. But you need to know that John 20 is also about Mary. And it's about the apostles. And it's about Thomas. Because the whole reason why Jesus died... It's for them. It's for you. And, and the number one goal that the whole Bible was written is that we might believe. And so John's goal for you and for I this morning is that we might believe. And so let me ask you again. Do you believe? Have you surrendered? Which Jesus just isn't an appendage. He is my pearl of great price. It's a choice we make. And perhaps when you were a kid in youth group or Sunday school, yeah, yeah, that was you were there. You got some guy led you to the Lord at Campus Crusade in college, and you were all on fire. But stuff has happened. Things have gone south. Some confusing things. Not sure. Kind of walked away. This morning, I would say Jesus is coming to you, just like He came to Mary. To look you up, to call your name. And I we're going to give you this moment, just, just a moment, moment. I'll give you a, an opportunity to pray, to realign, recommit your life to Christ. Maybe for you, you know what, you come to church a bunch of times, but you've never believed in that way. Oh, you recognize the historical boy Jesus, maybe, maybe not, but you never embrace with delight. Where he is your, your treasure. You can this morning. And so let's take a moment to pray. Would you, would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes. And just between you and God. Just make where you're sitting a very 
personal, very sacred place. And you can call out to him. He's calling out to you. He knows your stuff. He's the one that, that when everybody else was giving up on Mary, Jesus believed in Mary before Mary believed in him. He does the same for you. You can respond back to him right now, thanking him for dying and rising for you. Ask his forgiveness for you putting so many other things above him. Lord, I want to thank you for so long back when you called out my name. And you remind me, I was just a, a stupid, empty kid who didn't know, didn't have anything to offer you. And you called me. And you treat us with, with honor and respect. You love us. We're your children. We're created in your image. And my God, if there are people here this morning that you would be calling out, I pray that you, are, you would make their name very clear to them. They would hear your voice and there would be surrender. Lord, thank you so much for the hope, for the power of the resurrection, for the empty tomb. And Lord, I would pray that as we go forth, even, even as we celebrate now, but as we go forth this day, that we would go forth for myself, my brothers and sisters here, would you remind us often of the sacrifice that you've made for us, of the, the resurrected Jesus. Would you remind us of that, that our, our lives may be lived, the rest of them, how much time we have with our eyes focused on you, that fear, that sadness and pain that comes our way might not control us. I would pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.